0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Some folks march to a different drummer. Then there's Deborah Rappaport. She marches with an entire marching band. A native New Yorker, Deborah always loved dressing up, studied textile design and created textiles that are body coverings and not apparel. A graduate of Carnegie Mellon University, it's where she got her BA, and then Deborah went across country where she got an MFA from UC Berkeley. She taught textile design and personal adornment for eight years before returning to New York City to keep making and exhibiting nationally and internationally found object art pieces. Many are wearable accessories on hats from repurposed materials. In two thousand nine, Deborah met Ari Seth. Cone, part of a film about Ari Seth Combe, originator of Advanced Style, the blog, the film, and three books that include her contributions. So let's meet and get to know Deborah Rappaport, who's joining us from Manhattan. Welcome, and thanks so much for being here today.
1: It's my pleasure. This is always fun to do. So where did all this come
0: from, your kind of funky art, both clothing-wise, as well as sculpture-wise?
1: Well, I think growing up with a sister and a mother who were both very creative, the creative act was always part of our daily routine. And making a mess was part of it. So there would always be textiles and old shoes and hats to play with. And of course, my grandmother, as most of our grandmothers, knitted and crocheted. And during the war and during the depression, they repurposed. I mean, that was not fashionable. That was necessary then, just like it's almost necessary now to repurpose and to be sustainable and to recreate using what already exists rather than being a conspicuous consumer. So it's, you know, it went on since post-war when I was born. And
0: so that was also a natural act for you. It might have been her hereditary, but it was a natural thing for you to pursue.
1: Yes, yes. And um, my mother was a maverick because we became vegetarians in the late 40s, and nobody could even spell the word then. So we were always a little bit eccentric when we went to school because people laughed at what we wore, and they laughed at what we ate, and it was like, okay, that's, that's your problem. I mean, we didn't feel bullied, but we felt eccentric, and so we pushed it to the hilt.
0: So this kind of quote funkiness has quite a history with you. That you were doing this, like as a youngster, right? All the way through, you haven't
1: stopped at all. No, mm -mm, not at all. And I'm seventy-seven, and I hope I don't stop. I hope I make my own shroud and wear it in (laughs) into my grave. (laughs) Uh,
0: So, so talk about what is it that turns you on? I saw several pictures, and I'm curious as to
1: what attracts
0: you to certain objects?
1: Well, I've always loved fabric because it's malleable and you can manipulate it. And my mother loved antiques, so we always went antiquing. And so I loved things that had a patina, that had a sense of age. And I still do. And one of the materials, other than fiber and fabric and textile-related things, I love found metal, and back in the 70s when I'd walked the streets of New York, before I moved back, I didn't have a studio here, I started picking up parts of old cars and trucks because there was a lot of that available, and it really spoke to me. Now, of course, the cars are plastic, so it's much more difficult. And so while I was here visiting, I started working with these bits and pieces, and I made lots of large jewelry and most of them are in museums, and a cousin of mine who was a carpenter said, well, if you use caulking, that will really work, you know, because glue wouldn't work, and I wasn't really a metalsmith, and so I built all these found metal pieces, and so that's something that still appeals to me. In fact, my current partner, husband, has been trained and when he sees something Of metal in the street He picks it up and brings it home And he's getting better and better at it Instead of just nuts and bolts He's finding big, interesting pieces He's
0: a good good student
1: Yeah (laughs) Yeah. He's got a good eye and a good heart But
0: metal notwithstanding You also use Clearly a, a ton of different objects Not the least of which is Paper towel rolls That you use to make your hat
1: Right Well, the hats are made from paper towels, a particular brand that doesn't have a lot of texture. And the first time I touched them about nine years ago, they felt very cloth-like. So I said, well, I can fold these, I can twist it. And I just started building hats as if I I was building a basket or building a coiled clay pot. And then the cardboard rolls, both from the paper towel and toilet paper, I keep turning them into cuffs because if you split them open, they fit beautifully on your wrists and then you can just do any kind of a collage and it's kind of really a collage on a cylinder. So I use a lot of old postcards or, or um, advertisements and mesh bags from produce and leftover yarn and, and leftover twisties and whatever, just so they don't go in the landfill. And I just build these cuffs out of all that recycled material.
0: So it's, ecologically sound in addition to the art. So there's two, totally. two forces at play here.
1: Yeah. When I started doing this back in the late 60s, the word sustainable didn't even exist or recycle. It's just that my eyes were attracted to these kinds of materials. I'd go to Army-Navy stores or government surplus and buy old things like rubber tubing or weather balloons from the war. And this is what was attractive to me. So I've been working with those kinds of materials ever since the last 55 years at least. And that's what still appeals to me. I'm not interested in silver and diamonds or gems or silk dresses or anything like that. I like things that are more rustic and, and uh, they have to speak to me. That's all. You know, everybody's taste is different. This happens to be what appeals to me. So do you rummage through garbage cans? Um, I've been filmed by various journals walking down the streets and picking up things. I won't go into garbage cans, but I will pick up stuff from the street, particularly mm-hmm. if if it has a patina on it and a sense of age.
0: So, what is this? Feed your soul, Deborah. Doing this is that just something you can't help but do? <laughs> correct.
1: Well, yes, because it's it's the creative act and you know we all come from creation so we all create and it doesn't mean we have to paint a mona lisa but like a friend of mine says can you make a sandwich that's a creative act you know ah. it's choice it's putting things together and it and it's not necessarily about luxury or acceptance it's just it's just the process that we all have you know, whether it's gardening, cooking, like I love to cook because to me, vegetables are color, vegetables are texture. I had a flower business for 16 years. Being a New Yorker, I didn't know anything about horticulture, but my partner did. And I said, okay, so it's color, it's texture, it's linear elements. I'm going to put the flowers together the same way I put together, um, you know, a textile or a linear formation like a basket. And we had a very successful business for 16 years. And, uh, you know, at that time, I didn't want to work in an office. And I said, well, what can we offer the world as a service that they understand? Because they're not going to understand necessarily my kind of tapestry weaving or my found metal jewelry as an ongoing, you know, I could show in galleries and sell, but I needed something as an ongoing living. So a service that also fed my soul. That's what we did. We did flower arrangements. And my partner was also a textile artist. So we came from that sense of color and texture. And we were very unique. They used they used to laugh at us in the flower market because they knew that we chose the most unusual flowers. And if, if anything came in, that was an oddball. There was something called um, cucumber balls. And they were hairy. And they used to call them the hairy balls. And they always saved them for us because they knew we would relate to them instead of just a rose or a daisy.
0: So that prompted you to share your art as mentor with students?
1: Well, the flower business was a business, and that allowed us to express the creative aspect that we had different than a, a regular. Well, most flower arrangers are creative, but we brought like a whole textile aspect to it but you know I've been teaching since I got out of graduate school and I love sharing the concepts of what what is appealing to you what is your truth you know I have a mantra called the four t's and the first one is truth and I think our culture is such that it forces our truth down because our culture wants us to be like everybody else but if you dig deeply and find your truth, you'll know who you are. The second T is, of course, you have to trust it. It's too easy to to ridicule it, to try to criticize it and think, oh, no, that's not really me. I can't really be that person. And then you have to be tolerant of it. And then you have to wrap the whole thing in tenderness and put it out there in the world and give everybody else the space to find their four T's. And I think our culture is getting more and more away from being individuals and being one of a kind and really being honest about who you really are, what you like, what you want your life to be, to be like. It's not about fame and fortune. It's about finding your truth and finding your creativity and, um, making peace with yourself. And
0: you've clearly done that.
1: I feel like I have, you know, there are challenges, but life is a challenge. It's, it's the journey. And, you know, little by little, it gets clearer and clearer as long as you listen to your heart and your gut and follow your truth. So are you still
0: involved with the organizations that you initially got together with, like uh, found object art pieces and such?
1: Yes, very much so. I'm still teaching at some museums. It was just New York Textile Month. And with another friend, we We did, for the fourth time, a workshop on more with less, working with found materials and excess materials and having people in a workshop make creative projects, mostly at this time, you know, wearables, things for the body. So doing that, I teach classes at MAD, the Museum of Arts and Design at Columbus Circle. One of my most favorite museums. Well, good for you. You'll come take a workshop with me. I, they just signed me on for one for May twenty fourth or fifth. I can't remember. Well, just that, would I, it, that would
0: intimidate me, but I would love to come. No, with, uh,
1: come and observe. No. Well, you can. Yeah, you can come and observe. They're very. Everything I teach is so low key, so low tech that you know. I teach from eight years old to ninety year, year olds, and nobody is and nobody is threatened. It's very, very easy. It's just a matter of allowing you to get your hands dirty. You do visual art
0: and wearable art.
1: Yeah. To me, it's all the same because the body is just an armature on which to place your sculpture. And so it's about color, texture, and layering, and you just build it on the body. So, you know, I used to do large environmental pieces for the body, and now I don't have room to store stuff anymore. So I just make things that are literally wearable, like a hat, like a large neck piece. And my philosophy is frame the face. If you walk into a room with a lot of people, they're not gonna notice what kind of shoes you have on. But if you have an interesting necklace or a hat, they're gonna notice you and they're gonna notice your smile and your eyes and your face. And so I do a lot of workshops on something I call boas, bibs, and breastplates. Because to me, that's what frames the face. You know, a good pair of earrings, and a good hat. And to me, anything's a hat. Ever since I was young, you know, a paper bag, a lampshade. I still collect lampshades and wear them as hats sometimes.
0: That's just great. And, and how successful are your sales?
1: I don't sell a lot. I don't have a, a Shopify site. I don't have a website anymore. Years ago, Ari Seth Cohen used to say to me, uh, you've got to do e commerce and I said, you know what, Ari, I'm gonna do me commerce. I'm gonna walk down the street and if anybody's interested, I'll give them my card and they can come to my studio and I'm happy to make sales.
0: So I have sold
1: a lot of a lot of hats in the past. Since COVID, you know, not that much because I Don't get to see many people. There haven't been a lot of exhibits. I still sell some things to one dealer of mine who buys them, and and now she's getting them in shows all over the world. There's a show going to open next year in Stockholm, and then a show in Melbourne, Australia, and another piece she gave to a museum in Germany. So, you know, it's busy enough, but I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about money or fame or fortune at this point. I really... I'm happy to be mentoring and sharing the wealth, and and waking people up to how important it is to be sustainable, you know, and to really save the planet. That's the biggest absolutely, that's, yeah, that's the biggest issue there is right now. There's a lot of garbage going on in the world, but I think global global emergency, as they're calling it, is the most important to recognize and be part of.
0: Do you feel that that's happened to you? Do you feel that enough people on the powers that be acknowledge what you're doing in addition to the art?
1: Well, you know, I'm not political, so all I can do it is on the realm that I could do it, you know, in my community. By teaching, by walking around, talking to people, by continuing to be a vegetarian, recycling my organic material, using my old tea bags, using... Sometimes I even make art out of dried uh, celery peelings and carrot peelings or burnt toast. To me, I've been doing that because they speak to me. It's a fiber. So I can do what I can do. And living in New York, at least I have a large audience who recognizes what I'm doing. And I speak to everybody on the street because I must, must get stopped at least 10 times a day when I oh, walk down the street. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So that's my means of uh, of educating you know, by being Mm -hmm. visual. Right. And so I'm
0: sure you hand out a ton of cards during the course of the day. Yes, I do. (laughs) But obviously winter has an impact on uh, your exposure. No pun intended.
1: Well, but yes and no, because, uh, you know, I love layering. So I layer and I'm still colorful and I still wear hats and embellishments. So people still see that I'm making things and that it's out of repurposed materials. Well, how do people get
0: in touch with you, Debra?
1: Uh, well, on Instagram, that's the easiest under my name, if you spell it correctly, Deborah D-E-B-R-A, and then Rappaport, R-A-P-O-P-O-R-T. And on Instagram, you can direct message me or write to me and I'll send you my email, but that's the best. I'm very, very uh, visible on Instagram.
0: So do you have a, quote, gallery where people can come and just see all different types of
1: your work? Um, no, not really. You can come to my studio apartment. I live in Westbeth, which is the oldest, largest artist residence, I think, in the country. And it's in the West Village. And I welcome people here all the time. And before COVID, we used to have a lot of parties. and But now that's not happening. But you're welcome one at a time. Just reach out to me.
0: So in other words, you're in a good place and you've always been in a good place.
1: Yes. Yes. Once I was truthful to myself at a very young age and said, you know what? I'm not going to be a nurse. I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be a secretary. And my parents were in agreement. Then I said, okay, I know who I am and I'm going to follow that path. So it wasn't a slob. No, it wasn't always easy, but I stayed truthful to myself. And that's, you know, what I did. You know, I stayed in California as long as I needed to. Then when I knew I needed to come back to New York, I didn't know what I was going to do here, but I knew I could trust the process. So trust is again, a very big part of it.
0: So as we wrap up, Deborah, what is it you'd like people to know about you as well as your art that maybe we haven't touched upon in our conversation?
1: Well, I love life. I love to play. I like to think of of life as a process of play. I don't take my myself too seriously because the world is very serious. Although I have been known as a worrier, my father used to say when I was younger, "You're such a good worrier. I think I'll hire you to worry for me." I would call home from college all the time and say, "Oh my God, you know, I don't know what I'm doing." Anyway, so. One of the lessons I'm trying to learn at my ripe old age is not to worry so much and just enjoy every day. And I think that's the one thing we may have learned from COVID is we have to reconsider the values of life and be, be really grateful. I think that that is a mantra
0: that you should yeah. um, make a sign of in all your different, yeah. all your different paraphernalia. And I, right. would be the, I would be the first to buy it for sure. Okay, I'll make one and I'll send you a picture of it and you can see if you love it. Okay, okay. That, that's a deal. you heard it that's here, folks. Deal. Okay. Well, yes. it was really terrific getting to meet and talk to you and finding out about your passions and your creations and your employment. I mean, it's
1: really good for you. You wanted to do what you wanted to do and man, you're doing it. I'm doing it and I encourage all the young people to do it too. And they have the advantage of uh, of technology, which can get you out there and make you more visible now than it was 50 years ago, you know. So, so in addition clear. to
0: in addition to Instagram, what else? I mean, I mean, at least can you give the information that's on your card, you know, read it mm-hmm. to us?
1: Well, I'm also a reflexologist. So I do healing work and polarity work, which is energy work. And my card, I think says, food, fun, and healing, because I also used to be a cook for a CSA, you know, where they would deliver organic produce. And I believe that, you know, food and cooking is, is also a creative act. And I believe in staying healthy because once you're past 40 and if you begin to go downhill and then by the time you're 60, it's really hard to turn it around. So I often lecture to young people to you know, eat well, exercise, be positive, stay healthy, because we think we're invincible, but we're not as we get older.
0: No, you're right. That's great wisdom and a perfect way to end. Deborah Rappaport, it was terrific to get to meet and know you. And I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time in one of your galleries. And I'd love to be able to, I don't know, pull off one of your, um, <laughs> One of your designs, for sure.
1: Okay, well, either either come visit me in the West Village or come visit me when I'm teaching at MAD Museum, okay? We'll be in touch. Yes,
0: by all means, keep me in your loop
1: and keep, uh, keep our
0: listeners in your loop. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Sandy. Well, this is I great. totally enjoyed it and lots of luck and continued luck in the future. And here's to many more paper towel rolls. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Clark.